Hey, everybody, welcome. <laughs> I do not sound like that. <laughs> hey, this is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined by Diana Yoakum and Robert Brokamp, personal finance experts here at The Motley Fool. How you guys doing today? Just grand. Fantastic. All right. Feeling above average, I would say. Uh, uh, interesting you should mention that, because today we're going to talk about the finances of the average American. We'll peek into wallets, brokerage accounts, and credit card statements to see how Joe and Jane Public are doing, so you can see how you stack up. You might find today's show extremely affirming, but if you find it depressing, never fear. Before we're done, we'll show you how to get on track. The inspiration for today's show came to us from Ryan. He writes... I feel I'm doing well with my 401k retirement, but I see my balance and I wonder how well I'm doing. I'm married, 31 years old. I have 26000 in my account. Is this good or bad? So his question reminded me of the time when here at The Motley Fool, one of the benefits is that if you need some financial advice, you can, for the low, low price of taking Robert Brokamp out to lunch, he will sit down with you and you'll talk to him about your money and where you are and, and how you're doing and what you should do next. And we sat down with him over at Thai Food, I believe. Um, and the only thing I remember from the conversation is that Robert said, you guys are doing okay. You're going to be fine. <laughs> that's yep. like, that's I remember that too. All I wanted yep. was for someone to tell me, you're, you're going to be okay. So, I know that because that's why I say that to everyone who asks me. Yeah, that literally they aren't going to remember anything just, else you say. They just want to feel good. So he I practices in the mirror. Right. He looks at the mirror. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to be okay. Everything's okay. You're doing great. You're doing great. And, awesome. that's, and that's what this show is hopefully going to do for you guys, fair listeners. Um, but if not, like we said, we're going to offer advice to get you to a place eventually where Robert's going to look at you and he's going to say, you're doing all right, kid. Keep it up. Although his also his advice was because we were just about to have a kid. Don't and, do it. No. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't it. Um, but it was, well, it's possible that you're just not going to save any money for a while, and that's what you're going to have to accept. It's true. <laughs> My husband was not happy with that. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about average. The average American is 37 years old. They are employed and make $50,000 a year. The average American also thinks that they are a better driver than the average American. The bad news is, though, that the average American doesn't have an emergency fund, by which we mean a six-month financial cushion for if you lose your job or have a health issue, nor have they calculated how much they need in order to have a comfortable retirement. Oh, average Americans. Oh, average Americans. We can do better than that. We can totally do better than that. Can you do better than average, though? What if everyone does better than average? I guess it just raises up the average, doesn't it? Yeah, Mr. Math Guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's just get into this, shall we? Got it. First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about net worth. And what are we talking about when we talk about net worth? Because I'm pretty sure Ryan doesn't care that um, he's a better driver than the average I love that you're looking at your scraps of paper trying to recover any stat possible. All right. Net worth. It's simple. It's assets minus debts. Or put another way, it's what you own outright minus what you owe other people. All right, that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty easy. Let's talk about net worth then. Some of the averages, and this is broken out. This is awkwardly broken out by age from the Census Bureau. So the average net worth, if you are in your mid thirties to mid forties, is about thirty five thousand dollars, 
Average net worth, if you are mid-40s to mid-50s, is about $85,000. And average net worth for if you are mid-50s to mid-60s is $144,000. And then finally, over 65, average net worth is $171,000. Sorry, I had to make sure that that was only six digits and not seven, because that would have been pretty crazy. Um, so that's that's average net worth. You can take a moment to think about where you, where you fell in that. And in the meantime, we're going to transition to talk about one part of that equation, debt. Yes. So, we have even more averages to consider. <laughs> this is a numbers-heavy show, people. Um, and there's a reason why there's a back button for listening to a podcast. Do not, I don't recommend listening to this one on like 2x or whatever speed some people try to do. Um, so, let's first talk about debt. When we're talking about debt, we're talking about what? Credit card debt. Student loans, mortgages, car loans, all of that kind of stuff. All right. Well, the numbers I have are average credit card debt. So less than half of people actually carry a balance. Go people. Yeah. Yay. Way to go people. But the average balance is about $16,000. Average mortgage debt is, this is according to NerdWallet, around $150,000. And average student loan debt, this is according to Experian, uh, is about $29,000. And this includes all of the 40 million Americans who have at least one outstanding student loan. $29,000. Right. So for our listeners that are squirming hearing these numbers because they didn't like where they fell, <laughs> what's their best way to kind of beat the average all here? Right. So when we're looking at debt, not all debt is equal. We've talked about this on other shows. And uh, the, the first thing is to really look at your credit card debt. Credit card debt is the worst kind of debt to have. It's got high interest rates. I think the average right now is around 14 <laughs> or 15 percent. It always tends to hover around there. Um, unlike mortgages and student loans, it's not money you've borrowed in order to buy something that's going to go up in value or has provided um, is an appreciating asset, has provided you with an education that's going to help you earn more money, say. Ideally, you want your credit card debt to be zero. Um, if you have a revolving balance, the next best, best thing is to keep it to less than 30% of your line of credit. That's what's going to keep, keep you looking okay in the eyes of lenders and banks and other people who want to do business with you. So tackle that credit card so debt So tackle first. that credit yeah, card Ask your lender, to, if, you, if you've got a high interest rate, call your lender. Ask for a lower interest rate. If you've been a good customer, they'll give it to you. If not, find a low balance transfer deal. Uh, attack that debt with, with fervor, um, with everything that you've got. And then once that card is paid off, if you've got more, apply all that money to the next debt. Lather, rinse, repeat. Just get rid of this. Because there is no better first investment you can make than getting rid of credit card debt. And what about student loan debt? Because that's been that's gotten a lot of attention lately. It has gotten a lot of attention, and I think it's a serious concern. If you can go to college without paying any sort of student loans, that's awesome. But if you have it, as Deanna pointed out, it is an investment. You have something that ideally will um, increase your earning potential, your life satisfaction, all that good stuff. So it's not a bad thing that you have it. Interest rates these days between four and eight percent. So that's middle range interest rate, uh, and then the other kind that's out there is a mortgage. Mortgage rates these days is about 3.7%. So once you've paid off the credit card debt, then hit the student loan debt. The question with, with paying off debt is always, what else could you do with the extra money? You pay the minimum. Should you pay more? 
should you invest it? And the typical rule of thumb is, well, if you can earn a higher return than, what, than the interest rate on your debt, invest it. Student loans are sort of in that middle range of you know, 6 7 8%. There's no investment that guarantees you'll get that return, whereas paying off debt is a guaranteed return. So I think it's actually smart to pay off your student loan sooner if you can. Mortgage, 3.7%. That's pretty low. It's got the tax benefits. So you don't necessarily have to be in as much of a hurry. But I do think it's a good idea to have that paid off before you retire. It's great going into your golden years without having to worry about that expense. It's a good goal. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about debt, people are going to have debt. Most people aren't going to be able to pay cash outright for their home. Uh, and no. 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 <laughs> and I'm, I, I always do that. And if you, go, if you can, call me. Joke. <laughs> Let's try to trot it out again. <laughs> it never gets old. No, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> but here's another average we can trot out that has to do with debt that is a number that I think is important, and it's good to be competitive here. Your credit score. So the average FICO score is 640. That's not great. It's okay. You're going to get loans, but this means a lot. If you can bump up that score, it means a lot of money in your pocket later. So let's say you want to borrow 20 grand to buy a new car. You plan to pay off the car in five years. If your credit score is below 660, you're looking at paying an interest rate around 10.4%. Yikes. If, if wow. your credit score is 720 or higher, the interest rate's just 3.2%. That's amazing. So we're talking about the difference over that five years of paying about $5,800 in interest over the life of the loan versus $1,600. So credit score. Give it some love. Do give it some love. Be way better than average here. And I think we've already done a show on how to give your credit score some love. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. So go go listen to that. That actually touches on one of the important things about net worth and its limitations, right? Let's say you take out that car loan. You've borrowed the same amount of money, but in one of those loans, you're paying a higher interest rate, another loan, it's a lower interest rate. Same situation if you decide to pay, you have $10,000 in cash and you pay off your credit card. Your net worth actually hasn't changed because you took something from your assets to pay off a liability. It's in the future as you see your net worth change that you'll be able to appreciate making those decisions. Well, that's probably a good opportunity for us to move to the other side of the equation, which is assets. What you own. What a good transition we yeah. have there. So, when talking about assets, we're talking about everything we own. So, here are some stats. The average woman owns 27 pairs of shoes. The average man owns how many shoes do you guys think? Does, that account, does it count the ones that uh, my wife owns but that I wear every once in a while? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that's going to skew holiday the average party. too much. <laughs> God bless it your includes wife. your ruby red slippers. Yes. I'm going to say five. I'm going to say 11. 12. No. Nice, Dayana. Thank you. Really? It got close without going over it. That's really good. Yeah. You got to get the red you look chucks. Disgusted, Robert. You look <laughs> yeah. absolutely Blue disgusted chucks. at your fellow men. The white chucks, the leather chucks. Lots of chucks. Lots of chucks. Lots of checks. Uh, the average household also has 2.28 cars. Another way to look at it is that there is a car for every two people in the U.S. But here's a fun little stat that doesn't really apply to this show, but whatever. I'm going <laughs> to trot it out anyway because we're trotting out stuff. Um, the U.S. actually ranks 25th in the world for most cars per capita. Really? Whoa. I'm surprised at that. I know. Isn't that crazy? So most of Europe has us beat, like Italy and Germany. 
they have more cars per capita than we do. Their cars are smaller. <laughs> that is that probably is That's, true. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe that has something they to do with it. They can park them in their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Monaco has the most, but I don't have the number for you, so sorry. I have a feeling my shoe collection and my 2012 Jetta, uh, while they are an asset, they don't necessarily have a lot of value. So, bro, can you talk to me a little bit about how should I look at my assets? Right. So you really are looking at everything you own with your net worth. Um, and just in case you're curious of a rule of thumb to how to value all your furniture and all that stuff, um, one rule of thumb is half of the value of your dwelling. So your home is worth the house and the property. Your homeowner's insurance, you have the value of the home itself. Half of that, that's roughly an estimate of how much all your furniture and CDs and clothes are worth. Oh, okay. That said, you can't really do much with that stuff. Most of it is uh, uh, they're depreciating in value. All those shoes becoming less and less valuable every and a lot day. Of, a lot of Craigslist no shows. Let me tell you, when you're selling things, <laughs> wow. Oh yeah, totally be there in 20 minutes. Never shows up. Okay, back back to the back to the topic at hand. Right. What's probably most important to you is what can you use of your net worth to accomplish some financial goal, and that is usually for most people retirement. So that's really the that type of number, how much you've saved and how much of your debt you're getting rid of, those are the numbers that will really affect your financial future. Yeah, because if you got a lot of valuable stuff, it's not liquid, it's hard to sell, it's going to stick around, it gathers dust, and it's not growing in value in your IRA, for instance. So you're saying my visions of taking everything to Antiques Roadshow <laughs> and just cleaning up is just not going to happen? Is that... It's big? not. Actually, I was reading an article about this because I was wondering, how do homeowners insurance companies value? Let's say your home burns down. Um, you're supposed to have an inventory. And if you don't have an inventory, you're, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because you, you, how do you prove to the insurance company you own these things? Um, but they mentioned that Antiques Roadshow, and, and some people get this idea like, oh, yeah, this antique... Bobbly boogly fingerly boogly <laughs> I have five of those, by the way. It's worth a lot more money than it really is. People but it's are often great disappointed. for holding cookies. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> anyway, so make sure you inventory your possessions, but they may not help you retire anytime soon. It turns out it was a knockoff bobbly boogly googly. I just patented that, so don't take it. Yeah, you're going to go far with it, so don't worry. Yeah, just it's add the dot yours. com, and it's getting <laughs> flooded right now with <laughs> traffic. Right. All right, well, let's talk about retirement assets, uh, because I happen to have those numbers right here. It's almost as if we planned for this. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, all right, so let's look at some of the numbers here. And again, this is kind of cut into random ages so it kind of makes it, it makes for bad radio people I'm not going to lie but we're just going to plow through this. All right. So, if you are between the ages of mid 20s to mid 30s, on average households with retirement accounts have about $13,000. If you're between 35, like mid 30s to mid 40s, $31,000, mid 40s to mid 50s, $60,000, mid 50s to mid 60s, $100,000, and then the average across everyone is $40,000. Diana, what do you think of those numbers? That does this I'm pointing at the frowny face on the happiness scale here. This yeah, is this not is real, real yeah, frowny face. Yeah, this is I I, I will let me provide a couple other depressing statistics. Um, 
Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the numbers there aren't great. And yeah, so b- basically, on average, people who are right on the cusp of retirement only have, on average, $100,000. Yeah, and not surprising, one out of five workers who are covered by 401k plans don't actually participate. They don't even contribute a dollar. Free money, people. Free pre-tax money if you have a, get a company match. And in 2013, I saw a, a survey that says the average 401k plan participant stashed away about $8,300 into his or her account. And that might sound okay to folks, but know that the allowable maximum was closer to $17,000 that year. So we're really underperforming yeah. average for a wake. 401k plan for participants. Well, let's let's take it back to Ryan here. Ryan, I hope you stuck around this long because <laughs> we're, we're just your now, we're just now getting to your question, Ryan. Um, Robert, how's Ryan doing? Um, <clears throat> Ryan is above average. Congratulations, Yay. Ryan! Yay! You're 31 and you have 26,000 in your retirement account. Right. So enjoy that right now, Ryan. Feel good. Okay, good. Because you're actually behind when it comes to your retirement savings. And that's the important part about all this average stuff. He's only 31. He's got years to make up for it. Um, You're going to be great, Ryan. But just because you're above average doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to be able to accomplish the goal that you want. And you could be actually below average and still be on track. It really depends on what you want to do. So um, let me give you an example here. So you could actually determine there's a, a study out there called National Savings Rate Guidelines for Individuals. Catchy. Yeah, written by the Ibbotson Group. Very smart people. Nice long article about figuring out whether you're saving enough for retirement. So we look at someone like Ryan, someone who is saving 10% a year, and you include what you're contributing to your account as well as the match, and that's what Ryan's contributing. 31 years old. Someone like him, if he wants to retire at age 65, should probably have about $85,000 Save for retirement. So Ryan has $26,000. You got years to make it up. Don't feel bad. But that's sort of a benchmark there where you can be above average and you're actually still behind a little bit. Now, for someone who is, let's say they're 45 years old, makes about $80,000 a year, saving 10% a year, they should have about $333,000 saved. So it's a good framework or a ballpark of where someone should be. Where should you be? Well, you can read that exciting article. You can use an online calculator. You might want to go to a fee-only financial planner that'll charge you for maybe two hours, three hours, four hours worth of work just to look at that one thing. Am I saving enough? Because you definitely want to do it now, sooner or later, and studies have shown that people who have done this are more likely to accomplish their retirement goal. So if we were to wrap this all up in a pretty little bow, what is your guys' bottom line takeaway? Mine is, it's, it's, I love this looking at average stuff. It's fun to be a voyeur. It's, competitive. Yeah, and I'm ugly competitive in certain table tennis games, people know. Um, but remember, it, it, this is not a competition or a race. Uh, your goals could be very different than other people's goals. But what you can get from this exercise is context. So again, you have a little bit of a comparison. Um, you can use it as a framework for I should be paying attention to these things. So the important stuff about my net worth uh, is making sure that my debt 
isn't overwhelming and that it's a good debt and that I keep interest rates down on the other stuff, that assets, maybe I shouldn't concentrate on acquiring physical assets, that mostly it's about saving money and investing it in... So boats? Not, don't, <laughs> don't buy yeah, a boat. No boats. Just get a friend who has a boat right. and then hang out with them on the weekends, right? Right, unless you live on the boat. My dad lived on a boat for a while, and that's sort of an example of like, okay, that's important to him. Go buy right. the boat. Right. Is this yeah. your dad who hid all the money in the couch cushion? Uh, it wasn't the couch cushion, but I'm not saying where it was. <laughs> but it was on a boat. <laughs> it requires scuba gear to find it. <laughs> not really. He doesn't live on a boat anymore. So where was I? Oh, yeah. The big takeaway. The big takeaway. Use this as a, a, as a reason to actually start looking at your assets and liabilities and all of that stuff. Because as Robert said, the people who do the math, the people who bother to run the numbers are the people who are much more prepared and they use it as a kick in the butt to start going in the right direction. Right. I would say uh, the important thing is uh, that your net worth isn't your self-worth. And that's a phrase you'll hear a lot in, in the world of financial therapy. Yeah. So if you want to retire early, someone like that is going to have a should have a lot more save than someone who never wants to retire. And these people do exist. In fact, there are studies that show that retirement may not be good for your health. Um, for those types of people, are like, you know what? I'm going to spend some of my money and go to Europe. I'm going to have my emergency fund, hopefully. I'm going to have enough insurance, hopefully. But I'm not going to save 10 to 15% of my salary. I, I want to live life now, and I don't plan on retiring. So you have to line all those up with what you want to do with the rest of your life. You mentioned kids earlier, right? And how I said you're not going to be able to save. I think that's fine. I mean, if having kids is more important to you, it might mean... Living in poverty for <laughs> right. the rest of your life that's is what right. you want, Exactly fine. Right. And you can sell them later if you regret the decision, so that's good. Um, but yeah, you have to line up with what you want to do. Um, and we've talked a lot about The Millionaire Next Door, a book that shows that actually the people who have a lot of money aren't living high-cost lifestyles. So um, never assume that the person next door to you with the big house and the Mercedes is actually on a net worth basis worth more than you. Yeah, they may not be. That's a very dangerous comparison to make, in fact. I mean, it's, it just sounds like the best way to be a millionaire is not spend a million dollars. Right? <laughs> Every so often, we get the joy of talking to a smart person, but we don't get too long. In fact, we only have time to ask a handful of questions. And today, we're talking to Russ Roberts. He's a research fellow at the Hoover Institute, and he's the host of Econ Talk, a great and popular podcast that is endorsed by Tom Gardner, our Motley Fool CEO. Russ Roberts joined us at Motley Fool HQ to talk about his most recent book, How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life. So your book deals with his thoughts on human nature and what it takes to be truly happy. Why should I care what an economist thinks about being a happy person? Those are the kind of people that are just joyful in general. It's a very unfair question, but I think a very apt one. The good news is, is that although we call Adam Smith an economist, he would not have described himself that way. He saw himself as a moral philosopher. And he was interested in why do people make the moral decisions they do? And that included everything from not just what we would call a moral dilemma, but also how do I treat people when they've got a tragedy or a great success? And so he was very interested in human interaction. And I think uh, that's something we don't think quite enough about. And he has a lot of insights that are just as valuable today as they were in 1759. Uh, so I think it's still worth studying. What is the most basic concept in economics that you think most people get wrong? 
I'd say the most important concept that people get wrong that is utterly fundamental to economics is the idea of opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is your next best alternative. So if I make a decision and I choose option A, let's say it's I'm going to buy a house. I can sometimes forget that I'm tying up the principal in the house that can't be used elsewhere to earn money. So people say, oh, I made so much money on my house. Did you take into account what you might have earned elsewhere? Because that's really crucial. Equally important in thinking about opportunity cost is time. Oh, I chose to go to college and I made all this higher salary. And I, but of course I had tuition, but not just tuition. You also had the four years of your life that you could have done something else. So when you want to think about whether college is a good idea, you want to think about what you're going to do in those four years, not just the out-of-pocket tuition. Your podcast, Econ Talks, it's not only celebrated, it's also been around for a long time. If you think about in podcast years, it's been ages. Uh, what has been the biggest shift in your thinking since 2006 when you started the podcast? I've learned a lot from talking to a bunch of really smart people. I think the biggest thing I've learned is that evidence and data are rarely as clear-cut as the proponents of a viewpoint think they are, including myself. So it's forced me to be more honest about why I believe what I believe and when is evidence uh, just an uh, example of confirmation bias rather than helping me to really understand the world. So I've become a lot more skeptical about data and uh, complicated statistical analysis, and I hope that's made me wiser. It's possible that some of our listeners will think econ talks and just think it's boring. It's above my head. What is a good episode that someone should start with and just why? A lot of it is about day-to-day life. So I've interviewed uh, the woman who cuts my wife's hair, the guy who sold me my car, uh, an organic farmer, the guy in charge of potato chips in Northern California for Frito-Lay. And in those kind of episodes, which, which you can find in our archives, you'll see... Uh, economics in everyday life and understand things about the things going on around us you might not have thought of. The other place to start, I would say I've done about 30 episodes with Michael Munger. Uh, If you go to the archives, uh, it's on the left-hand side of econtalk.org, our homepage. Go to the list of guests, go to Michael Munger. Those are all applications of economics to everyday life. Uh, and Mike's an, a, an amazing storyteller and, and has a lot of insights. So um, I think those are a lot of fun. Thanks to Russ Roberts for joining us. You can and should listen to his podcast, Econ Talk, on iTunes or wherever you listen to stuff like that. Wherever you're listening to us, actually, you can probably find it. And you can get his latest book, How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life, now, again, pretty much anywhere. The show is edited by Rick Engdahl, music composed and performed by our own Dayana Yoakum. You can email us at answers at fool.com and pretty please give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or really anywhere you can rate us. Until next time, I'm Allison Southwick. Do you guys want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Good good night, Gracie. (laughs) Good night, Gracie. Full on. Full on.